Okay, so welcome everybody into the latest episode of Before the Crowd. Uh, joining me here is an old friend from a few years ago, uh, which is Alex Leo. So, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, man. Good. It's um, really glad I've been able to have you on this episode, actually. So for, um, for people listening at home, Alex and I used to gig and play together uh, sort of all over the shop, really, a few years ago. And it, I guess I was, I think I was about 17 when I joined your band, and it was like my first exposure to like real gigging and clubs and and the whole scene really that's it yeah i mean like a lot of my friends actually it takes me a minute nowadays to kind of work out try and remember like where i've met most of my friends and i was trying to i was trying to think where it was that i'd met that i first met you was it we were were you at college were we went to college together i can't remember yeah it was because um one of the max one of the tutors there i remember he he heard me practicing and he knew you were in need of a drummer. And that so was he just it. kind of connected us. Like, I think he that pulled it out of a lesson one day. Max Alexander, that's it. Yeah. Max, Maxi boy. It, yeah. That's it's coming back to me now. That's that's how the first connect happened, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I seem to remember it quite vividly. I think it was just because I was, you guys were like a slightly older band because you were all like 20, 21, early 20s. Yeah. And I, because I could have. So old. <laughs> Well, me and my friends. Fucking hell, I wish I were 20 again now, I tell you. How old are you now? Uh, I turned 27 in like two weeks' time. It's, okay. uh, it seems to have shot past, mate, honestly. Weird. How are you feeling about it? Um, okay, I've made it to the 27 Club, just about, if, if I get there. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two weeks to ruin that. But um, no, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's just another, another day. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it was, for me, when we started playing and doing all those shows together, it was such a great experience because... Like I was 17 and couldn't really play in any of those clubs sort of legally or without ID, which I didn't have at that time. So playing with a band who was slightly older meant I got to go into these venues. That's it. That <laughs> I couldn't normally play in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, uh, I wouldn't want to embarrass you on your own podcast, but it's funny your name came up in conversation a few weeks back, actually. We were, we were talking about that one night we played a show in Birmingham when we came back to... Um, we came back to mine and we got drunk on chat panels. <laughs> Do you remember? And you were like, I think James like had to like help you down the hallway numerous times to, uh, <laughs> to find your way to the bathroom after a few minutes. That, that yeah. was um, that was um, I think it was like your dad's fault because he like gave me Jim Bean and I had like no oh, idea what it, it was. That was it. Yeah, yeah. He kind of yeah, um, yeah. Got you I drunk, didn't he? You- I think influence. your mum was kind of annoyed at him because she was Probably. like, oh my God, like, you can't <laughs> stay in our house. Yeah, yeah. Because like you say, we, we were a couple of years older, so we kind of, you know, it's easy to forget, isn't it, once you start gigging together um, at that age. But yeah, now nah, good times. We had some good good fun, didn't we? Are you still uh, in touch or playing with any of the other guys in the band? Um, so me and James still, um, although we've kind of, had sort of a hiatus um, on our little production duo of late, um, just because we kind of worked solidly really since um, since around the time we'd met. So it's, you know, and even before then, we, you know, we'd been pushing on like a decade's worth of confinement in that little studio shed of ours. And uh, I think it kind of reared its head just around the time that I was um, making plans to go to New York. We kind of I know James wanted to pull off into slightly different writing directions and have have a bit of headspace. So, um, yeah, we, we keep in touch all the time just as mates, but we haven't worked together for a good, probably a, a good 
six or seven months now, but we still do have like the garden shed that's the famous little studio shed. Um, we still uh, co-own um, a lot of musical gear together. So we're still, we're still musical compadres, but we just haven't um, done anything together. But the rest of the band, they've all, um, from the time we played together, they've all kind of moved on and done, done their own things. I don't know whether Kurt's still playing. The last time I saw Kurt was, um, well, I've seen him briefly just for a year since, but the last time we played together was his mom's 60th, I think. I think it was a 60th. He, he dragged us up and we did like a jam band thing. That's the last time I played with Kurt. Um, I don't think he plays that much anymore, to be honest. Um, okay. I, think he's, I think he's stepped off into the real world um, and got himself, got himself a real wage. Um, and I think Sam, <laughs> um, who else, who else was in the band at that time? I don't know. We went through a few players, didn't we? I mean, like you play, obviously you drums. We had James, Kurt, bass. I think I, w- I was exclusively with when James was on guitar and, and Kurt played bass. That's it. Yeah. I think we had, oh no, Josh came and played. Oh yeah. Josh, Josh Taylor played. played a few gigs with us That's and he right. played, um, I think he played bass for a couple, maybe when Kurt mm. could make some shows, and then I think he just played, kind of guessed, played some keys. He played, he played some keys as well, didn't he? At the uh, one famous gig we did at the uh, the infamous Yardbird, that's no longer that's no longer with us. That, that um, the best venue in Birmingham it used to be. But uh, is that the Yardbird isn't there anymore? No, it's all gone because they've just they've redeveloped the whole of Birmingham city centre now. But. Um, yeah, it um, it got knocked down when they when they kind of restructured that whole area. Um, so yeah, they uh, it's no longer there, which is weird. But um, yeah, it was a great venue. I mean, it's a very famous jazz venue, wasn't it? Predominantly, because um, I remember a few people being quite impressed with your kit because it, it's very like jazzy. That bar used to be. There's loads of and. Um, yeah, man. God, I don't know where the time goes. It's weird thinking about back <laughs> on it all now. It's just like, what? It feels like yesterday once you start delving into memory banks. But yeah, I know it's funny just talking to you and like it starts opening it up a little bit. But I yeah. guess kind of moving with the present, man. Where's where's your music yeah. heading at the moment, and what are you working on? Uh, so most recently, I mean, before this, the big lockdown happened. Um, I just recently returned from from New York. Actually, I spent five weeks out there working with. Um, some incredible musicians based out of Brooklyn. Um, and it's kind of a weird, it's quite a funny story how the whole thing came about, really. It was, uh, so, you know, there's so far sessions that, that that float around. They're kind of worldwide now, aren't they? They're kind of, the internet's saturated with uh, with YouTube videos of, of um, good quality musicians playing stuff. But yeah, anyway, um, I did one of those um for a london session i think it was and it must have just popped up on the instagram feed and around the same time there's a guy in new york um a guy called quinn devlin um who's a great musician as well but he'd he'd done a video around the same time and i think we just we just got hashtagged and something together and he, he must have stumbled across my video like organically on instagram and uh he just reached out um showing some interest about like my music and what my plans were and stuff. And we just kind of basically started like a pen pal Instagram friendship thing. that was really weird, but uh, over the course of sort of three or four months, um, we started realizing that like um, 
I was in a place of kind of, I was just a bit lost musically, like creatively. I felt like everything that I'd worked up to up until that point and the whole progression that I'd gone through from the years of obviously meeting you and being at college and then going to university and being like a career driven musician, you kind of get to a point where it's, it's really easy to, you know, to get to sort of your mid twenties and think like, like shit, what, you know, what direction am I going in? And I just totally felt like, creatively at a real crossroads didn't really know what to do didn't really feel um like i'd like my sound is representative of where it, what the direction i wanted to go in and so i was kind of expressing all of this to quinn and um he just said look mate i've got you know i've got a bunch of really great people out here we've 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 run a studio together and we all chip in on rent and stuff and we run this studio out in brooklyn and I'm pretty sure if I had a discussion and showed some of the demos to some of the guys, we'd be able to do a really good rate because we know you're going to travel far and we could, we could make it happen. You know, you could come and sofa surf with us for a few weeks and and we'll get some ideas down and hopefully it will reinvigorate some inspiration. And so I started thinking about it and thought, yeah, you know, this could be a real, a really good opportunity, but I wasn't sure how much it was going to cost. And so then they came back with a quote and I was like, you know, being an indie musician cost is always, always a, a, a big factor. Um, mm. I guess even when you're on big labels, it's still a factor, but um, when it's your own back pocket, it's definitely, anyway, we were, yeah, of course, of <laughs> course. So, we, you know, I looked at it and made it work. And so I, I think that was in May time. So um, being the spontaneous person that I tend to be quite impulsive, I, I wanted to just vet that it was all going to be legit because obviously I'd only met this guy on the internet. Um, for a few short moments. So I, uh, I flew out for four days in June. I just booked a flight and flew out to see him to see if it was like, if I was going to be catfished or not, or if it was going to be like the real deal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, so I flew out and everything checked out. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have landed on, I couldn't have landed on more of a gold mine in terms of the, 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 the community and the people and the vibrance of culture and, um and the knowledge of you know the musical brains in the room were just it was just yeah and straight away within those like i think i was there for like just it worked out for just over 48 hours or something i was there and i, I just came back like jet lagged but buzzing because i just it was such a quick visit i hadn't even adjusted to the time zone but it was just like an injection of the, exactly the kind of thing that i needed so i came back then and we made a pact so i said right i need to just work solidly as a working musician i just need i need like a couple of months to get the funds together. So, um, I just rejoined, I just did everything I could to make the cash. So just, you know, did all the function stuff, uh, all my mm. usual, all my usual sort of things that, that are away from my original material, all the function gigs, corporate gigs, weddings, all that malarkey as I'm sure you well acquainted. <laughs> got a paper rent somehow. That's it, mate. So got, got, got it, got it together and, uh, got out there. I went out there in, um, October, and was out there for, yeah, for five weeks, um, just kind of living as cheaply as I could. Luckily, all the guys that were out there let me crash with them. So that was a great save on cash and a great way to get to know them all. Um, and the little studio was called Dodge 112, um, which is named after the street and the where it is, the, the number. Um, nice. It's a great little studio. It's above an old... Um, above an old what it still is a working uh pest control unit so like you got the little <laughs> it looks like a little ghostbusters wagon like parked underneath and then in the attic was this uh 
was this um, unit that they turned into a little studio and Sahil, the, the main producer, um, he's kind of the, he was kind of the catalyst for it all really. He was like the Fagin of all these musicians. He just would, you know, he, he just had all these great people that would gravitate towards him. And he was able between him and Quinn, they were able to call, call upon a, a band um, to come and help me kind of flesh out some of these arrangements and some of these sounds. And we basically spent first couple of weeks just getting to know each other and working it all out solidly. But um, to be honest, it came together really quickly and we tracked, we tracked the main body of the work all live, all in the room. So I was in a booth and everyone was kind of, um, because they're all, they're all jazz. Most of the guys were all um, jazz students at Columbia. So they're all like really, just tasteful players that know how to really get a good sound um, mm. in a quiet room. You know, they're not about playing loud. It's all about dynamic and getting it sitting. So, I mean, with that, it was great because we could all communicate in the room and, and get a really nice vibe um, and capture like a really organic, natural sound, which I feel listening back now, now it's all mixed and kind of, we're just waiting for it to be mastered at the moment. Um, but yeah, I feel really proud of it. And I, th I feel like it was such a leap of faith to go out there. Um, and I really was really unsure whether it was even going to pay off because um, it was kind of a whim. But it, it turned out it turned out to be one of the best things I think I've ever done. I've made some great friends out there and and I feel kind of musically re-energized. Nice. Um, that's cool. So yeah, that's kind of the story. It's a bit long-winded, but... Yeah. No, it's good. It's really good to hear because I think... A lot of the times when, you know, you can go to a new music scene or even if you're just in a new city for a night and you get to meet the local bands or whatever. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, they're not that friendly or not that nice. They sort of see you as a threat. So it's great that you got to go to, you know, across the ocean, across the pond, as it were, and just find a really cool, like, close-knit system yeah, of musicians. It was, it was unreal, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. Like, some places you go, you do get that vibe. There's a bit of a competition, a bit of a standoff, but... Honestly, Brooklyn, uh, maybe I just hit lucky with the people that I was surrounding myself with, but um, every person that I met who was friends of friends or friends and we'd go to gigs or parties or whatever, like everyone was so accommodating and maybe it was because I was the foreigner and they wanted to like be a good host or whatever, but it was just, I never got that vibe once. Everyone was so engaging and really passionate about what everyone else's projects and what they're all up to. And it was a real scene. And to be honest, like, I did feel a little bit like deflated when I came home. It took, it took a while to get used to it again because I kind of felt like I got I landed back home and I just thought, shit, like I just got inserted into a, into like a, into a scene, into a, a, a ready-made like vibe where everyone was kind of on this frequency together. And I kind of came home and I was like, I just I don't, I don't feel like I was thinking of who I could turn to, to like, where's my scene kind of thing? Like, where's my scene back here? And I just thought because I've dipped in and out of so many different scenarios in the, in the UK, like I kind of felt a little bit lonely almost. It's like a little bit like, Oh, like I know there's a ton of really great people that I can rely on as friends and musicians and everything else to, to make things happen here. But there wasn't the same buzz that there seemed to be there. I don't know whether it's because everyone was living on top of each other and a bit like, you know, if I'd moved, cause I never made the move to London, maybe I should have done that and whatever else, but I've been spending a lot more time in Bristol cause my brother's down there and there's a really great scene that I've been getting involved with there. And maybe, maybe that, maybe that was my golden ticket. Like maybe I should have moved to a big city at a certain time, but I guess everyone's 
the moral is everyone's path is is different, isn't it? Like everyone's career path is is different, but it definitely took some adjustment. Um, but then having said that, you know, um, it, it I don't think it's hindered me as such, but it was just, it was a great experience to have, basically is what I'm getting at. <laughs> no, definitely. And it, it's really weird. And don't ask me why this stuck with me, but I always remember you saying to me once years ago when I was, I think I told you, I was like, oh, hey man, like I'm, you know, I'm not going to be around to do these shows anymore because I'm going to be moving to London. I'm going to go study. And you were saying like, you know, the only thing with London is, or any major city, is it bottlenecks? And I always remember that expression kind of stayed with me. And it's so true because you can be like this, um, yeah, amazing guitar player, amazing bass player in your hometown or surrounding yeah. towns and you really stand out, but you go to a big city and there's guys who have got like 20, 30 years experience on you who can just shed all over you. Maybe it's a bit different as a singer songwriter because you have your own sound that is very unique to you. Like no one has your voice. True, but there is still definitely some some similarities in that though. Um, if, if nothing else, just the attitude, I guess. But like, you know, as the years have gone by, I've spent more time in those cities and like, I mean, just before this happened, I was in London kind of more than I've ever been. And, uh, and like, yeah, I was starting to really see the benefit of being amongst it. And if you can, you know, if you can hold your own, um, you know, and you're willing to, to work hard, which you, you know, since, since I, I met you, I knew that you were one of those people that were just very driven about your instrument and very driven to make it not just a passion, but, you know, it, it really was your life and it is your life now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I knew that somewhere like London would be the perfect habitat for someone like you because, um, you know, those types of places with those types of attitudes, you can thrive because a little bit of that, a little bit of competition is obviously always good. It's always good to be around people. And obviously you're meeting people all the time that are always trying to push themselves too. And that old saying, I forget the exact saying, but about surrounding yourself with, with, with people that are kind of almost better than you. Cause it just, it, it really does elevate your, you know, you do become who you surround yourself with. I'm a massive believer in that. Um, mm. You know, when I went out to New York, I, I definitely felt like the worst musician in the room. Um, but weirdly, I loved the fact that that I had, I loved that, that feeling it, it, it made me feel so weirdly empowered. Like I, I wanted to just learn more and like about all aspects of, of the process, you know, even though I'd been doing it 10 years, there was things that I just didn't know, or I wasn't aware of, um, just by looking at these guys that just live and breathe it. And, and musically speaking, were just so intelligent and so tasteful. Um, it just really inspired me to, and, you know, so, and I came away from that feeling like, well, that's the, that's the bar now. That's the level. So like, like the, the level has now gone from, I've plat, you know, I'd been in this weird state of plateauing like not really knowing where this next stage is and now like the, the level's been the threshold's been set again so now it's like you know I feel like there's another bar that I need to reach and I think that's how you get better as a musician isn't it is it always oh definitely surround yourself with those people and if you're in places like London um and the and you know Bristol's another great place for it too mm. um you know just surround yourself with good great players and and just good people in general that are willing to give advice and stuff is only going to make you a better person and player. Oh, definitely. Um, and it, it's absolutely, I think that rings true so much. Like 
I know even like a bunch of drummers who have like maybe taught me or I've kind of met along the way who have got, you know, 20 years on me. And like, you don't see them play for six months or whatever. And then you go watch them. And I just, I kind of stand there laughing because I'm like, you guys are so good, but you're the yeah. nicest guys in the world and so modest. Yeah. And it just makes you want to run home and practice. Definitely. Um, one thing I was going to ask you actually as well. Um, let's talk about the name change. Oh yeah, Where did that the, come big, from? the big name change. Um, Alex Rainsford to Alex Leo. Yeah, well, um, it was kind of a weird, a weird couple of reasons. I, I was looking for a potential um, brand shift anyway, just because I felt like I was stepping towards a new, just a, a kind of new sphere of musical being or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I just fancied a fresh start really. Um, but at the same time, I just, I just landed a management deal in Bristol at the time. And uh, the team that I was working with there, we'd had similar discussions to what I told you about, about feeling a bit sort of stale and not really knowing and having all these ideas that were yet to come to fruition. And I kind of felt like drawing the line under the sand of, of some old material and kind of rebranding myself and starting again would be a really good idea. But um, so I was chatting back and forth, backwards and forwards with my manager over, over the Christmas of, I think it was 2018 now. And, uh, I'd, I'd actually took some time off. I'd gone for a couple of weeks to, uh, the Canary Highlands. I'd gone to Fortaventura, um, okay. hired like a little camper van and, um, drove around, drove around the, the island and just chilled out for a bit and was just working on a few ideas while I was out there and trying to clear your head. And we were joking one night about, um, because obviously you've seen my frigging long blonde hair when it's all down. And we were joking about um, this. Uh, it's a bit cringy to say, actually, now now, now I'm actually thinking about it. Like pe- People are going to hear like the really basic, the basic version of where this name came from. But um, they um, there was a guy in this bar, this Spanish guy that used to call me like Alex the Lion. It was like a, it was like a jokey thing. And I, I was talking to Matt one night and I just text him. Uh, about this thing because we were talking about names mm. at, at the time and uh, he knew a bit of Spanish I think and, and um, he was like oh that's that's funny like lions obviously uh, Yeo with the double L-E-O and, um, mm. and then he sketched it up and just sent me like a text being like you know look at this it's like it looks quite good like with the four letters and the four letters like being all like with his being on brand as, as he was with being in a management company Um <laughs> And I kind of sat back and looked at it and I thought, yeah, the double L is a bit weird, but like, it does look kind of cool, I guess. And, and like, it does speak to me in some ways. I was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So we just vibed it for a while. We had loads of crazy, stupid other ideas as well. I can't remember. I can't remember now without looking back at some of the emails, but like there was just cringy ones. Oh, it's always cringy though. And like, so we decided to just go with that because um, I'd recorded a load of stuff and we just needed to release and it was getting to the point where they were putting pressure on me to really start like getting to grips with putting together a campaign and get some stuff rolling out. So mm. I was like, fuck it, let's just go with it. So we went with it and that was it. And it kind of stuck and I, you know, I went with it and the rest is history as they say, but I don't think, I think when people decide to, to come up with aliases and stuff, I don't think it ever really, most people that I've spoken to that don't use their real names, it never really sits with them like hundred percent. It's always like, yeah, fucking kind of is just a thing. And I, I'm kind of at that point. I'm like, yeah, 
people that know me know know the story and know what it's about and they know it's just a it's it's an ident essentially isn't it it's a it's a it's a marker to show people oh this is where you come to listen to this type of sound or whatever and yeah. you know i've made my peace with it <laughs> no it's fine i yeah i was kind of i was curious as if it was given to you or if you were just like you know what screw it i'm doing a, a brand change because it, it was sort of a mixture I, yeah. well i kind of thought about it in the past i was like you know would i want to do a whole stage name thing and i i think maybe if you're kind of more the artist like you know it's your name on the album but your name your name sounds like a drummer's name though like that is the kind of name that i would see in the credits do you know what i mean like a ginger baker style like a guy in <laughs> it's just like it's it's an it's a it's a it's a name that you're not gonna forget i don't you know i would never forget that name like it's just it's it's just it's i don't know what the word is but it's I definitely when yeah. i was uh, when i was in the states playing my uh before i met my md he like the but so the day I met him, he was like, oh, okay, you were kind of what I expected. And I went, oh, what do you mean? It was like, well, you know, just judging from your name, he was like, you're either like some massive, great, big, obese gospel player or a skinny white English guy with long hair. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Nailed the I was second like, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, obviously that's, I don't fall in about first category, but that's no, no, I'll take that, man. I'll take it. Um, I guess kind of like moving talking about the brand and stuff, because I, I was reading your, um, I was talking a bit, um, your Spotify bio yeah. before the interview, and it was saying about, you know, the connection you have with nature and kind of, you know, that that sort of, I liken it to maybe the Zac Brown band, you know, that sort of like homegrown roots. Um, do you think that comes across in your music or, or influences your songwriting, that connection with nature? Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's, it's something that... Um when all the marketing teams get a hold of you in music as they'd like to do. Um, it's something they always try and extract out of you, isn't it? You know, what is your selling point? What is the thing that makes you, you, um, and yeah, sitting down and really thinking about it, which is always an uncomfortable process really when you're having to like self-analyze, but I guess, I guess it does. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm someone that's always been very outdoorsy and, um, just, always like to try and connect myself to it in some capacity. I find it, I've always found it very grounding ever since I was a kid, just camping trips away, um, you know, with my dad and stuff. It's just, it's always been a part of my, my life, that kind of connection to it also, I guess. And as my sound has developed, it's kind of, it's definitely got a foot in that rootsy sort of organic. I, I kind of use that. I overuse that word a lot, but like it, you know, it is, I, I like to kind of, it's a woody sound that, you know, it's a, it's a very real sound. It, it sounds like people in a room playing together. Like that's the best way I can kind of describe it. It's, uh, you know, I, as much as I absolutely adore other types of music and, you know, I play around, you know, I go off if I'm, if I'm writing and stuff, you know, I, I won't let things, genres hold me back. I, I, I like playing around with sonics, but um, I just find my strong points always being because it's the way I learned, I learned to play music as a kid, really. I was just in a room sitting in front of someone with an, with a wooden instrument, usually just singing a song and like, I, I, you know, the oldest, the old fashioned folk technique. It was just, that's the way I learned to play. And I think as you get older, you just realize that like you, you play to your strengths. And I always felt like that was something that I've always felt most comfortable with. Um, because usually I'd be writing a song, you know, wherever I was, it would usually be a guitar in hand, 
like the old cliche singer songwriter thing wherever I was just it'd be guitar, guitar and a voice and it'd be the a melody and whatever and that's kind of how I've always started songs um so yeah it's, I guess there is a connection yeah no it's it's interesting I think just you know you're hitting on that kind of cornerstone of just like you said the melody the instrument which weirdly I did a um I think you actually know her um Amy Weir oh yeah yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we were um, we were starting to play together a little bit in London, and then we, um, I think, again, like going back small to small world, isn't it? Really, yeah. Is. Yeah. Everyone always says the music thing is small, but it, it is. And when you do find those connections, and I always, I don't know what it was, some gig or post or something. She went and did like a little weekend gig up in Birmingham, and I saw your name on the bill, and I was like, "How do you know Alex?" And uh, you know, and I, my first thing was, I was like, "God, you should never be a twat to anyone." Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's it's, the... It's not that you were, or like, oh, hopefully I wasn't, but you think, <laughs> yeah, like, no. <laughs> you never know when someone's going to crop up again. Yeah, I know. I know it's always like a... It, it, I mean, that kind of... Those kind of sayings go around a lot, don't they? When, like, young aspiring musicians uh, are trying to get into the game, it's always like, you know, be punctual and don't be a dick and all this kind of shit. And it's like, yeah, it is true. But, I mean, if you're already having to think about it, you're already probably a dick. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like most people I've met, I've been thankful. They're nice people. And just, you know, it, you know, if you're in it for the right reasons, you'll gravitate towards the same kind of people. I'm a big believer in that. And it's just like, you know, um, mm. it's just, it's that simple, but yeah, you are right. I mean, you got to be careful. You know, everyone, everyone's got a habit of being a bit of a gossip given the chance, you know, for certain situation or you work with a, certain type of band yeah i've seen it in the function world for years like you're playing wedding bands and shit and you you you, you know you're playing with as a singer of a band which is what i've done predominantly mm-hmm. you know you're depping with different people you can be depping with people every every night it could be a different band each night and different drummers sat in for the guy the night before and if the bass player's been there for a couple of nights he'll be bitching about the last guy and it's just it happens but like the best thing you can do is just keep your mouth shut because it's just you never know do you, you never know you could have your break one day and that drummer could come back and he could have, he could have changed the error of his ways or whatever. And he could now be in hot demand or whatever. And something's been said along the way or whatever the situation might, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just better to just put out of all of that noise. I just, I've not got time for it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just a, a negative vibe. Yeah. That's it, mate. Like, yeah. 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 Um, fun when you're playing music. And exactly. Just beer, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, yeah. I don't know if I if I told you this, but only time I don't know why I'm just talking about drunk stories with you. I think as well as like kind of discovering my tolerance a bit more, but because I don't, if I'm playing a gig now, I don't drink. I never drink a beer before or during. I have a couple afterwards, but I always remember playing Kurt, our, our bass player. Um, I think it was like his must have been like a 21st or 22nd birthday yeah, or something. Yeah. We played and a lot of birthday parties, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just getting absolutely smashed off like a pint of cider beforehand or something, and just trying to play drums and sit on the stool. <laughs> and just like my whole room started spinning again. I was Honestly. Like, oh, my God, what have I done? I feel a bit bad, but like, I swear we used to kind of get you drunk a little bit just because it was like <laughs> your like, Guy Monk drunk is fucking one funny scene. It's got to be said. <laughs> like, even now, thinking about it, it is, it was funny, you know? Yeah, because you 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 get there like quickly, but then you, but then you carry on. The thing is, you'd like get there quick, but then you'd kind of stay at a level, and you just keep drinking. Like, you know, um, you wouldn't stop. You wouldn't be like, oh, you know, because how old? You know, like we probably weren't even 
were we even 18? I mean, it's quite, it's quite illegal to be promoting illegal drinking, but <laughs> I think you were 18, weren't you, at that point? Are you sure. getting there? Are you getting sure. there? Let's say yeah. Let's say yeah, but whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah man, yeah. I, uh, I've always liked a beer, but I, I'm the same as you. Like when it comes to, I mean, that, that was a birthday bash, so I think the, uh, the gloves are off that night. But uh, Yeah, exactly. It's not a proper gig, is it? You yeah, know, it's just a load of nah, mates jamming. Nah, yeah, but like as a rule, you know, I'd like to pride myself in being quite professional when I need to be, so I don't, I don't tend to... I definitely don't drink if I'm if I'm being paid a mm. decent whack to be there. You know, I just it's what's the point? It's your job, isn't it? At the end of the day, um, and the enjoyment comes from being on there and playing. But definitely, uh, I've been known to enjoy a tipple afterwards. Um, yeah, definitely. Or start or start just towards the end of the set if I know everything's gone okay and we're getting to that point. You know, I might start sneaking a couple in. Um, That's the thing, and, and often even if you're not getting paid a wage for the night you're going to get given some beers or like that's your compensation where it's like, you know, 50, a hundred quid yeah. and a few beers for the band. And so you're like, okay, well, this is my payment tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, what always gets me is you have the guys who I guess we're kind of in the same boat, but you don't drink and play. And then you get guys who are like the, often the guys who are in the, in the pits in the theater and they're just absolutely smashed like eight pints a night. And they're, just, yeah. they're like nothing to them. They're yeah. so used to it. And they're like, yeah, I play better when I'm drunk. How do you get to that point when, like, you play better drunk? It's a slippy slope because they must have gone. They must have gone through the shit stage first, surely, because no one just develops a tolerance and is just and, and has maintained like a good level on their chops while they get into that point. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of maybe I should have rolled with it a bit longer. Maybe like you guys should have like <laughs> helped me get it. To yeah, sleep. yeah. Functioning yeah. alcoholic drummer. That's. God, that sounds so awful, doesn't it? Could have had one of his hats with the uh, cans in the side, couldn't you? <laughs> like the Homer Simpson, what are they called? The straws. I don't. I forget the name. But yeah, but, but, uh, there's a one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, anyway, man. Like get, getting back to you a little bit now, and um, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier, like having the the management deal for kind of younger musicians who are starting out or trying to grow them their their brand. What would your advice be? around that area of management deals and, and growing yourself? Um, there's a lot of snake oil around management, I think. Um, and it's something that I've fell into the trap with until quite recently, to be honest, like even now, like I'm, I'm out of a deal at the moment. So I'm, I'm a free agent. So I'm not, I'm not with anyone um, now, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you're younger, well, when any age really, I mean, a lot of industry people will tell you, the first thing you need to do is get a manager and yeah, that's true. Like um, getting a manager is really important, but what's more damaging to your career is getting the wrong one or getting one, you know, rushing into something cause you feel like you need it. Um, and ending, you know, you end up wrapping yourself in with someone that maybe isn't seeing clearly the same path that you want to see with your career. And that can be more damaging than, than, than going it alone. I think, I think nowadays a lot of people, the tools are out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, you know, there's more information out there now than, the, than there has ever been about how to construct your own campaigns and, and, and try and best uh, publicize your own material. And I think there is no, not, you know, the whole knowledge is power thing is so true. I think <clears throat> any young musician really should just 
first and foremost, always focus on the music. I know it's, I know everyone always states that, but it's, it's so true. If you've, if you're flogging a dead horse and unfortunately you, you, you're never going to get the interest that, that you need. I'm, I'm coming from a, um, a songwriter performer basis now, obviously for performers like yourself, if you're just, if you're session players, it's slightly different at, you know, I know people end up getting agents and, um, but that's slightly different, isn't it? That that's for getting you work on sessions, etc. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm coming from a slightly different angle of, you know, songwriter performer type management deals and stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the best advice to me would be just, just read as much as you can um, about, about what it is. First, think about, think heavily about what it is as a musician um, that you want to achieve and think heavily about the sound that you're creating and really try and paint a picture in your own mind because there's nothing worse than trying to sell yourself to someone else, try and get them on board with your gravy train before you even know what it is mm-hmm. that, you, that, that, that you're about, you know? Um, so the biggest thing is just take that time and there's no rush. I, I spent, I spent I got so, so much anxiety build up over the years of like going through my teens into my early twenties, feeling like everything needs to happen yesterday. And it, and it really doesn't, it's, it's like, you know, yeah, if you, certain areas of the industry, I imagine, um, time is of the essence to a certain degree with pop and stuff. But I mean, even that's becoming less and less of a thing. I, I think I spent too long focusing on, on feeling like I had to rush everything, rush the process. And it's, it's really not, um, necessary. I, I think quality over, over quantity for sure. Um, in terms of, learning about yourself and learning about how the industry works and what you can do to arm yourself as, as an independent musician, because the tools are there, they really are there. Um, so, you know, learn about how, how you create your own campaign, learn about how you create your own buzz, read about how the streaming industry has changed and how algorithms now are leading more, you know, and it, and when you get into it, when you get into the thick of all of that, it can feel a little bit disheartening because you feel like it's pulling away from the art. But if you can, if you compartmentalize as best you can, which is still a struggle for me at times, to be honest, mm-hmm. I can't manage my little brother's band now. Um, and like, I enjoy that because I'm not directly involved in the creative process. So I can kind of get creative on the marketing side. And I enjoy that now. Now I'm learning more about it all the time. And I'm no expert, but I'm just, I'm just reading and trying to learn as best I can. Um, and I enjoy that process with them now. But like when you're in, when you're kind of like balls deep in, into it, so to speak, creatively, and then you've got to then try and plug your own material. It can feel a bit demoralizing, like a hundred percent. And I spent a long time when I did the, my first like release under my new name, um, a couple of years ago, I'd worked so hard on this live release and, um, had like video content and loads of great content to go alongside it. And I just felt like, how am I going to pedal this like independently? So I did a hit list basically of, um, of management companies and people that I thought, but I didn't just, I didn't just blank email every management company that existed. You know, I did my, I did my research into the kind of acts that I thought um, represented the kind of sound that I was creating and the type of people that would genuinely be interested in what I did. And I put together a private link with everything on there and a really good, detailed but concise 
sort of one sheet, a, a press pack, but just an all-in-one thing that gave anyone reading a good, straight off the bat, just by looking at it, a, a good sense of, before they even clicked play, like what it was going to sound like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just who you are, what you're about. Exactly. Yeah. So we spent, we spent um, me and the drummer at the time, Tom, that, um, that had worked on me with this Park EP, um, he he was he actually worked in PR, not in, not in music, but in a different industry. But um, mm-hmm. he had a little management company on the side as well, and he was very good at teaching me a lot of things about how to make your press pack really concise. And so we made a really nice, good, uh, good looking sort of EPK to start posting out. And then I made a hit list of of a load of emails that I wanted to um, to hit up, and I, I you know I spent a good a good month or so um, hitting those people up. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people tell you to email, but I, I, the importance of the follow-up is really, is really vital as well. I mean, I spent that time kind of pitching to a few people until they gave me an answer, you know, a, an answer of someone telling you no is way better than just no answer at all. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I did, I did all of that. Um, and luckily um, there was a really great guy um, that's got his own little company in Bristol um, called Stay Loose, um, they're a great, a great little independent um, PR and management company. And some of the bigger acts they look after are like uh, slightly left field, like Daughter. They look after a band called Daughter and um, a band called Wilson and a few others. And they do PR for countless other artists. So I was in great company. And luckily, he he just reached out and seemed to really like the package that that that, um, that we'd put together and was interested in. Yeah, and then and then one thing led to the other, and we started working together on quite a loose basis for sort of eighteen months mm-hmm. on a few projects, and uh, it you know it worked it worked really great. It, I mean, personally, the only the only issue I had with that, and which is why I'm not in, in the situation now, is it's luckily it was no, it wasn't like I had a dodgy story to tell. It was um, it was more just a, an unfortunate organic closure. What happened was when I told you about me coming to the this crossroads with my music, it was. I was very much at that point. It was just an unfortunate timing. Like uh, we'd worked really hard on a campaign for this EP to be released. And then I was at a point where musically, I just felt like everything that I was creating. Um, and again, it wasn't of any one particular person's fault, but like I'd been closely working as James, you know, James, you know, old guitarist slash producer, yeah. you know, we'd been working together for like 10 straight years. And I just think, our creative juices together had kind of like dried up, to be honest. I just feel like we'd, we'd hit, we'd hit a brick wall and everything that I was trying to put my effort into, um, was just falling a bit flat. And I, and it was such a hard pill to swallow because I'd work my, I'd work my ass off to get to this point where I had someone of real influence interested in what we were doing. I mean, he was, he was getting me like opening shows on communion and stuff. We were going to London, we, you know, we opened, we did a headline show with the, with the full like six piece band um, at like London St. Pancras. We were doing like good, really good shit and, and getting the right type of people down to the shows. Um, really getting it moving for you guys. Yeah. And it felt, it just felt like I was, I was being sort of represented or helped along by exactly the kind of people and exactly the kind of part of the industry that I wanted to be part of. Um, so it couldn't have come at a worse time to feel suddenly, um, you know, uh, just dried up in a musical sense. I just, I, I, nothing was coming good. We were working on songs day in, day out, but it just became like, 
it just became like a uh, treadmill. There was nothing of substance behind it. And I just, it didn't feel fun. It just didn't feel fun. So I, uh, I did a UK tour and um, around, uh, I'd just done like a Scotland and Outer Hebrides solo tour actually. And Matt came with me on a few dates and um, we were just talking about stuff there, but I just, I got the vibe. I got the vibe during that time that um, things just weren't ready for me. I, I didn't realize it was my own na naivety. I didn't realize um, just what the next step entailed when, when you get that kind of interest. And it was a big learning curve for me. And I think it's something that I would pass on to anyone now is like, kind of be careful what you wish for in that respect. Because <laughs> if you do get the interest of people, they expect you, you know, you, you've got to be ready to meet them. You've got to be ready to meet them with, with that, that professionalism and that want. Cause if they're, if they're, if they're going to take the jump, um, they're going to take the leap and, and kind of um, invest in you, whether it be time, money or otherwise, um, you've got to know that you can deliver. And, uh, yeah. and if it feels like a lot of pressure, it's probably because it is. And if, and if, it, and if it's feeling like a lot of pressure, then it's probably the wrong time for you. And okay. that's a, and that's okay, I think. So coming back to my original point about learning for yourself, the best thing you can do is make all those mistakes independently first. So don't feel like because you haven't got a big label behind you or you don't have you know, a PR team ready and waiting to plug all your stuff out to national radio. It doesn't, that's, that's, doesn't matter because every day that you go about you know, self-releasing and learning about the process, it, it makes you stronger as and more resilient as a career musician and it, and it arms you with the tools you need to potentially never need those people. And if, and if you do it, you know, if it does come to that point, hopefully if you do the, if you do the right things consistently, those people will eventually come knocking. And at that point, then you, you will have the choice of, of who you work with because you won't feel, um, you, you won't feel so, uh, what's the word? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the word's gone. Um, <laughs> but it's not pressurized, I suppose. Not, not pressured, desperate, choice. desperate. That's the word I was looking for. God, I don't know why. <laughs> I blame, blame, blame the bottle of Heineken on that. But yeah, you, yeah. you, won't, you, won't, you won't feel so desperate to jump at the first thing that comes along mm. because you're, you're, you know, you're learning and you know what it takes. And, and um you know, so I guess that's the kind of best bit of advice that like I've kind of learned the hard way, really. Um, you know, so now I'm at that stage where I've got a collection of of these great songs and I'm, I'm looking strongly towards self-releasing. Um, you know, I've been in talks with a couple of little indie labels in Brooklyn and things, but nothing's, you just get a sense when people aren't, fully committed or they maybe want to take a chance just because they don't want to miss out. And at that stage, it's kind of like, well, I'd rather just not bother because you want someone that literally leaps off the phone or email or whoever you're talking to, you want them to feel genuinely invested. And if they're not, then it's not the right time. And um, there's so much you can do. I think the biggest thing just quickly before I ramble on too much about it. Or, <laughs> no, you're good. Keep going. It's great. It's just like uh, people forget that like just doing something great once isn't enough. It's particularly now when you can skip a track every 10 seconds to eternity and you'll never run out of music. Do you know what I mean? It's like 
we live in an age where it's consumed at an incredible rate. It's literally become like fast food. Um, so it's not, you can't just, you might've spent 10 years working on a track. I know plenty of people out there that are purists when it comes to making music and yeah, I've agonized, you know, I've done this album. It's took me 10 years to achieve whatever, a bit like that Ace Ventura moment when he's <laughs> in the bunk house. It's like, it's all well and good, but like at the end of the day, no one gives a shit. Like, as brutal as, and horrible as that is, no one cares. Like, because someone will listen to it and think, yeah, it's all right. And then they'll just skip. And, and that's the sad truth. You know, yeah. okay, over time with the right marketing campaigns, you can get to the point where hopefully the, your fans, the fans that you've worked on, the people that you've really worked at, the demographic that you think are really going to connect with your sound, those are the people that, that, that you're hoping over time will invest in you as an artist and as a person and, and will stick with you for the longevity. And that's, that's where you can afford then as it grows to be a little bit more elaborate. But when you're at the start line of your career and you're trying to just build a following, um, you can't afford that luxury so much of time. So, but what you'd have to do is you could make the best piece of art ever. Um, you know, and I'm in that similar state now. I genuinely feel like I've made some of the best music in my career to date that's been yet to be released. Mm. And I know it's not going to get the traction it deserves first off, but I know that I'm going to, I'm going to pitch it and promote it and put a campaign trail behind it as if it was going to be the next biggest thing. And then consistently do that for every other song that I release for the next, however long I, I decide to make music. So like my parents have just uh, popped back. So the dog's going crazy. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. But the biggest thing is consistency, basically. If you can take one word away from my ramble, um, it's just it's just consistency. Yeah, you've got to you've got to learn about how campaigns work and how rollout of songs works nowadays in the streaming world, and then and then do that consistently. Like that's that's the best um, advice I was ever given. Um, no, I think that's really good. It's, yeah. it's certainly really insightful to hear that. And I really appreciate your honesty on it because I think it's so uh, easy, like not to name names or anything, but when like I've interviewed some artists and people before and they're kind of put in the, in the hot seat, it's really easy to big yourself up and think, oh, people are going to listen to this or whatever. But you know, that's, that's why I wanted to do this podcast, just to get the reality of what it's actually like being a musician and yeah, it's, yeah. like you said it's like fast food with music out there now and the, this struggle that we have to go through but i don't know if you'd agree with me but i think we do it for ourselves as much as anyone else definitely i mean like i was talking to i was talking to james actually uh, on facetime yesterday and he was saying he was he was reading some book about creative people and how um you know if you if you're truly if you truly feel like you're a creative person that creative need it, it's it's almost like a like a bodily function it's like it's something that has to if it if, if you if you don't have the chance to express it and get it out from within yourself it, it can turn it can turn poisonous and it can make you miserable and it can you know so for me definitely like making music because i'm not the most prolific like i'll have i'll have bouts because i enjoy other parts of the industry and stuff as well and i'm learning about that like i'll have bouts where like i'm not writing nearly enough nearly as much as i should be but I know it's always there. I know it's a thing that like, you know, when the time's right, like I'm going to come back to it and we're going to have a good time doing the yeah. things that, that we're all here to do. Cause it's so easy now with all this information to just totally lose track of everything, but the music, like it really is. Um, and God knows how many times I've done that myself. 
So it's just important. It's just important to make sure that 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 singular that that thread that sticks to the middle of everything you do always should just come back towards that, like the music. Because if you do, and then you do all the other things around it correctly, consistently, then why wouldn't why wouldn't people sit up and listen at some point? Because they will. Because if the music keeps coming out and it's a standard that just can't be questioned, then it's only a matter of time, isn't it? That's who's going to take note. No, hundred percent. And I know definitely what you mean about that kind of I don't like kind of calling myself a creative it feels a bit weird um in kind of like drummer brain world um but like even just for me like doing a podcast it's if you haven't got gigs going on because it's the middle of well of lockdown or the middle yeah, of January yeah. or whatever you've always got something going on and you're still able to connect and, and talk to people and and just listen and learn about what other people are doing and what they're up to definitely it's, mate it's just fun as well and for me it's talking to guys like you it's just it's nice. <laughs> yeah, mate, like, fair play for doing it. I mean, it's been amazing, actually, with this whole, like, corona situ. It's been amazing to see how quickly people have adapted. Again, it's a testament to everyone's creativity because they're just, like, straight out the bat, within a week, like, people were, like, coming up with all these crazy, awesome ideas. And for someone like me, who's a little bit, like, although I've done quite a bit the last couple of weeks, like, I've, I've succumbed to the virtual ways. Like, to begin with, I was just like, oh, fuck that. Like, the idea of having to, like, do live streams and shit was just, like, because <laughs> the quality is never like how you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah. I've got a decent setup here and stuff. And like when I do the live streams, um, you know, I work hard to make them sound as good as I can, but it's never like, it's never as good as you want it to be. And interacting with a screen independently yeah. without a two-way conversation is always a tricky thing to get used to. But, um, you know, I was reading this book the other week about, uh, about, um, like progression and growth and stuff. And this book, particular book was saying, you know, um, if it feels, if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably a good thing because it's, you know, it's obviously testing you. So I I just saw like the negative feelings I was having towards like talking to a cringily talking to a camera as like a, all right, well, you know, it's going to make me feel a little bit better. And then I did this little quarantine things, virtual tour, where I got in touch with a few venues and, and, uh, just ask them if I could like take over their Facebooks for a week and just do like five, five virtual dates on like across different Facebook pages for five days. And it was actually weird. Like the first one, I wasn't really looking forward to it. And then by like the fifth, I just felt really comfortable. And like the songs, obviously I repeated a few songs and stuff, but it just, and it was good because I knew that I was on different, I was on a different Facebook page every night. I could kind of get away with, you know, like you would on a tour, you'd rehearse, you'd, you'd play the same thing the same way. And, you'd kind of, you know, you wouldn't, you didn't worry so much that you're going to get the same crowd. And it was quite good because by the fifth day, I felt really comfortable and an hour, just like an hour, just pissed past. I looked, I looked at the thing and I was like, wow, I've been playing for like an hour um, and people were engaging and it was, it was fun. It was good. It was a good way of trying to communicate your talents whilst being locked in. But like you say, doing these podcasts that you've been doing and stuff like fair play, because it's, um, it does take a bit of work. Like people don't see all the editing and stuff that goes in and, and uh, all the time, but it's a good, it's a good, it's a good time spent, particularly at the moment. I think it's pushed me to do it a bit more now in in quarantine because for me it was um, wherever I was in in whatever part of the world or traveling to. But yeah. you know, when you meet these people of interest or you arrange to meet up with someone, it's great to sit down face to face and do it with a microphone. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to have to really explore kind of virtual podcasts now and see what the quality turns out like and 
uh, luckily it's actually been okay with you. You just get like lags in the internet and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. Jesus, I'm going to have to, you're listening to it thinking, I've got to do so much editing on this. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, you can just yeah. see like, you know, 1am and you're sat up there still doing it. Um, Nightmare. Yeah. As we, uh, as we start to wind down now, um, I just kind of wanted to ask you just a couple of lighthearted questions as well. So <laughs> yeah, if you were going to do a show, not a virtual show, a real show, <laughs> like a, with a live audience, with any musician, alive or dead, who would it be? Well, that's a good question, actually. Damn. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do some filler as you, uh, as you think about it, just because right. it was a, you know, because I wanted to talk about maybe where you come from, from your musical influences that's and what good. drew you into being a singer-songwriter yeah, and who is. you would want to collaborate with, whether it's, some modern day pop star or someone like, um, you know, maybe the guys from Zeppelin or yeah. whoever, you know, Louis Armstrong, I don't know. That's a good question, man. Um, do you just want the one answer, live or dead? You can, you can you give it whatever form you want. If you've got a few uh, or some variations, go for it. Yeah, man. Um, I guess from a songwriter point of view, um, I don't know. Oh God, it's a tough one. <laughs> Probably have to be a Beatle, wouldn't it really? Like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe John and Paul in the same room would be pretty cool just to see like, just to really see, because there's so much information out there, isn't there, about like, oh, they did it this way or they did it that way. But I, I really don't think it was as scientific as everyone thinks. I just think they just had a chemistry and I just, I would love to have been a fly on the wall to have sampled what that chemistry must have been like. Just um, to watch it, yeah. Yeah, just truly watch it unfold and then, you know, sample that energy and try and copy it. <laughs> I think uh, unless it's unless it's coming from someone like Ringo or George, you know, any of these sources, I feel like sometimes they're just doing it to sell books, aren't they? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Um, you know, although those guys were awesome in their own right. But, um, but yeah, I think that, or maybe like... Um, Jimmy Webb, who wrote a lot of, who's famous for, as a songwriter, who wrote a lot of songs um, for people like Glenn Campbell and worked with Brian Wilson and all those types of guys and mm. often doesn't get the recognition he deserves as a songwriter. I think it'd be cool to sit down with him for a day and have a masterclass on how to write a, a damn good heartfelt song. <laughs> um, and then modern day, maybe like a guy that I'm really into at the moment um, called Leif Vollebeck. He's like a Canadian artist. Um, and he's just a poet. He's just an absolute poet with um, with his words, obviously, uh, and his music. That kind of the way it, the marriage between the, the the music and the lyrics, how he fits it all in, is just uh, masterful. I think so. Yeah, those are probably my hit list of people. Amazing, thanks, man. I I feel like you and I. I, I was like, oh, is Alex going to say a Beatle here? Because like, there's so much you can explore with that and. I think there's such a, whether like a lot of us realise it or not, I think it's such a big influence. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to, when you first asked me, I thought I was, I'm going to try and be cool and say something like, just just wild and out there. But like, I know there's a shit ton of people and the Beatles are so well documented, it almost becomes cliche to mention them. But like, <laughs> it's like yesterday, Dad had some stuff on, uh, we we're talking about Paul. And, uh, and he's just like, geez, like, he literally is a song machine. Like, it's it's just nuts to think the quality that he's just produced over the years and like um yeah i do think 
I definitely think we should start a petition for like the day the the day will come. Obviously, that he's, he's sadly no longer with us, and the day he dies, it should just be a national holiday, shouldn't it? it oh, should that'd be make, great. Whatever day it happens, we should have a, a like a five minute silence where at the end of it we just play Beatles records back to back, and then there should just be like a national holiday for for at least a day or two. National Beatles Day. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, because it, it's just like one of our treasures, isn't it? One of our one of Britain's best. It's just ridiculous when you look back to the catalogue. I remember I saw him play. He's played the Symphony Hall in Birmingham and me and Josh, um, mm. his dad very kindly bought me a ticket to go with them to watch. And I just couldn't believe, like he had no support act on and all the music in the, in the uh, you know, all the piped music coming out prior to them stepping out was like all old tunes that he'd either been involved in, whether it had been Wings or whatever or old, and it's just like, Jesus, the amount of caliber, like the caliber of the back catalogue of this guy is just next level. And then he played for like two and a half hours of that single break at like 70 odd years of age. Um, and it was just incredible. Yeah, it was a real, a real history lesson. <laughs> That's great. It's great to appreciate the acts that, uh, you know, it's about longevity and they've stood the test of time. Like you said, he's in his 70s and this doing longer it. sets than most people do now. This like. is, and this is the sad, this is the sad reality of like, of, I don't know where we're going with all of this technology. And I hope, my hope is that it will kind of, it will go, it'll, as most things do when you're trying to, it's like, you know, it's like gated reverb in the eighties. Like everyone went mad for it. Cause it was like new, but like <laughs> it'll, it, it'll have to go extreme and crazy before it, before it, you know, we rain it back. Yeah. We rain it back a bit. So I'm, I'm hoping that it does at some point because those types of people like, you know, we might not, I don't feel like we'll ever see another like Paul McCartney again at this stage, like with the way music is consumed and stuff. And that's without sounding too purist and too like music elitist towards the way things are going. Like I'm definitely on board with how the industry has changed and that's cool. Like, it, you know, there's lots of cool benefits to that, but just, um, I do feel like we lose a bit, we lose something as well. Don't we with, with all of this? Um, and I don't quite know where it's going yet, but I'm, I'm hoping it kind of finds a middle ground. Um, somewhere but uh yeah it yeah. just resolves itself to to whatever it becomes and maybe you know this whole COVID-19 lockdown it, it's I mean it's changed everyone's lives maybe that's gonna spurn something new for the whole industry I hope so, I hope so. perspective has definitely been uh, a, a word that's been uttered in, in this household over the last few weeks it definitely does make everything you know everything other than health and your family really it's just it's just confetti isn't it it's just nice you know so it's just a nice way to look at things and everything's without sounding too, too um, Buddhist, you know, it's kind of, everything's just that nice little bit of, if you, if you get a record deal, great. If you don't, you still make music, you still release stuff. Um, you know, there's no set path to anything. You just got to try and enjoy the journey, haven't you? Definitely. Definitely. It's pursuing happiness, isn't it? Rather than what we perceive to be recognition or credibility. I think that's it. Like, you know, um, yeah, happiness is just, it's a false pretense anyway. Like happiness is actually, it's an impossibility to achieve that all of the time in your life. And everyone strives for something that's just attainable. Um, mm. You know, when, when really it, it's deeper than that, like, you know, the whole like life itself is like getting too woo woo. It's all like yin yin yang. It's got a, it's got a ebb and flow, you know, so things aren't always going to go your way, but it's, it's like, it's how you deal with it, isn't it? Like, hundred percent. I think you have to have the um, 
you have to have the lows to appreciate the highs. For sure. In all of it. I feel like we could go down like a whole um Definitely <laughs> like a whole separate feel thing like, now. I feel like we're getting on a Joe Rogan podcast now. I feel like it's, rolling up a joint and Yeah, yeah man. So that deep. four hours later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. um what I definitely want to do with you is when when all of this madness is over and your music is released and out there, let's get you back on the show and maybe Thanks, man. we can play through some tracks and, and you can give us some commentary on like the songwriting process, what you thought about it and, uh, and take us through the record. That'd be great. As, as the songwriter, that'd be great. But man, thank you so much for being a guest. It's been great thank to catch up with you so much, again. man. Where's this going to be at? Is it YouTube? Uh, I go YouTube, uh, YouTube, Spotify and Apple podcasts, but I can, I'll send you the link. Once it's, once it's all up and running great uh, yeah. thanks so much Alex I really appreciate thanks, it thanks guys really nice to hear from you man let's, uh, let's not leave it however long it's been let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <contact>. <laughs> let's keep it going alright man take care